0: So when my wife and I were uh, praying about moving out somewhere, right, I went on staff at a church in California, and uh, boldly as a young man, I told him, I said, well, I'll probably only be here about four years, (laughs) and then I'm going to go out and either go on the mission field or plant a church somewhere, and uh, in all of my 29-year-old wisdom. So after a couple of years, we started praying over a world map. And because of my former um, job, I would traveled all over the world. I fell in love with a lot of places. I was trying to talk my wife into Japan. I really loved this city called Miyazaki and and thought that I could teach English and disciple uh, the Japanese over there. And um, uh, just really felt like I loved, you know, the kind of the coastal area of France, and there's some cities Lacanau, and, and different places uh, where I felt like, man, this would be a great place to plant a church. And um loved Portugal, the north coast of Spain, you know, and then I really had my heart set on Brazil. But I had recommitted my heart to the Lord here in Corpus Christi. And um you know Corpus Christi is that kind of kind of place you either love or hate and so when i was here and i was here on a on a at a surf contest and i was um, judging the surf contest the pro surf contest a lot of people were kind of complaining about the waves and i thought this guys this place is kind of pretty in its own way you know and then uh, after i recommitted my heart to the lord while i was here i actually went back to california i didn't really think much about it and then um, when i was thinking and for me, when I was in California, I felt the walls of my office getting smaller, which was really hard because I was literally in a converted broom closet. <laughs> and it felt like the office was actually getting smaller. And um, I could literally touch both sides of my office. And, uh, but I just felt like it was time for me to go. And so I'd set my heart on Brazil. But as we were praying, um, Noreen, so we, we had Cambriel. And then Noreen got pregnant with McKenna when we started praying. And then during that time, though, someone had called Calvary Chapel Bible College and said, we really need a Calvary Chapel in Corpus Christi. Now, there had been two other Calvary Chapels in Corpus Christi, and there had been four or five others tried, and they, and they hadn't stuck, right? And, um, and I didn't know any of this, right? But uh, there was this couple, and I was like, Corpus Christi? And I really had to think— what connection do we have with Corpus Christi? And I'm like, oh yeah, I recommitted my heart to the Lord in Corpus Christi, in what was the old Holiday Inn. And when I used to be a high school teacher out in Flower Bluff, I'd drive down my street Hustlin' Hornet, such a Texas name, right? (laughs) So, and I would literally see the Holiday Inn at the end of the road on my way to my house, you know, just remind me, this this was a, a spiritual home to me. And so we started praying, and and this couple that wanted a Calvary Chapel here, they had gone to Skip Isaac's church, which is a church of between between ten and fifteen thousand people, <laughs> you know. But they didn't want all the bells and whistles. They were a missionary couple, so they just wanted just Bible Bible being taught, you know, just the basic thing that that we're pretty pretty well known for. And um, so we came out, and they let us have their apartment, and they stayed with someone else, and. We're driving around town. Well, by this time that we're visiting, um, McKenna was probably about two months old, right? So she's a baby baby, and Canberra was a toddler. And so literally the first night we got here, and you know, I grew up in the good weather of California, right? And if California has anything left in it, it still has good weather. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's a crazy place politically, but it is very beautiful still, and it has great weather. You know, And there are actually some very strong churches there as well, because if you live in the middle of a crazy place, you need to be a strong church. And So I still have family there and everything, and I, I love California, but I got here in September. And it was like in a, in, a, in a cycle and cycle. So, you know, your first summer when you move to Corpus Christi, you don't feel like you can breathe, right? The next summer you're in Corpus Christi, you're mowing your lawn in the middle of the day and sweat happens. You're just like, I'm good with it, you know? <laughs> and now I go to California and I feel like, I feel like I'm becoming uh, pork rinds. I just feel like my skin is crackling off my arms because there's, there's no moisture in the air, you know? And uh, it's, so it's funny. If I'm, if I'm in California for less than a week, it's like I can't wait to get back to our humidity because my skin feels so much better, right? But if I'm there for a couple of weeks and I'm like, I enjoy the nights actually getting into the 60s, you know, even though it's, it's hot during the days. But um, anyway, so I got here, and I was like... <gasps> breathe you know your first time visiting you know uh florida or or uh you know south texas it, it's just it's just this oh, i i I can't i can't breathe you know i just really felt like that and we got here at night you know and it was cooler and and everything and and i'm like god you can't be calling me here i, I can't breathe <laughs> you know i'm not gonna live you know but we stayed here and after about four days you know um noreen was just crying the whole time right because and, and this is typical. It's not with every woman, but women are about their relationships, right? And men are about their jobs or what they do and their success. You know, that's kind of the, the basic general thing, right? So I'm excited about what God's going to do, you know. And all my wife can think about is the relationship she's going to leave behind, right, if we move here. And it's 1,500 miles away. And... Uh, so for different reasons, we were kind of quiet for about three or four days as we were checking it out and driving around and everything. And then one afternoon, we, we ended up at Ropes Park, and the girls are playing, and, and we're watching, you know, the wind is blowing that afternoon, so it's kind of cooler. I've gotten a little bit more used to the humidity, and I thought, in my heart, I just thought, God, I think you want us here. I think this is where you want us to be. And, um, and I knew Noreen was feeling the same thing by the Spirit. Right. I think uh, this, this week we're going to get together in family time, and I'm going to explain my view of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to spend some time in prayer and stuff. But um, I, I think the Holy Spirit gives us the details in our heart. He, the, the Word of God gives us the fence and the playground, but the details, I think the Holy Spirit leads us in. And so I just really felt like God was leading us to Corpus Christi. And um, I knew she felt it, too. So later on that night, we're at the apartment. It's it's a little bit later, and I go, "Honey, I think God's calling us here." And uh, we had both gotten to the place where this isn't a this is a good place. Like we could live here, right? This is pretty. It's the ocean. We're ocean people. Where we lived in California was 35 minutes from the beach, you know. And uh, and so. So I said this to her, and the girls were asleep, and she looks at me, and she goes, I'm not feeling it. I go, I'm not feeling it, She's looking at me. I'm not feeling it. I'm looking at her just going, well, give me a Bible verse. <laughs> you know. Show me in the Bible where God tells us that we're supposed to come here. you know." Well, years before this, when we first gotten, or actually when we were first dating, actually, I, I went to Australia, and I found, I found a Bible study and everywhere I would go on the surfing tour, I'd, I'd go to a Christian bookstore and try to find a Bible study, whatever language it was in, right? And most places I could find a Bible study. And this one was, was a fairly charismatic study. So they said, well, can we pray for you, when, when you go, uh, before you go back? And they laid hands on me and they started uh, prophesying over me. And, um, and one of them prophesied, you can be bold, don't be afraid. This was my first trip overseas. So I got back at about 10.30 from this Bible study, three and a half hours. I had a great time with these people. The spirit of God is everywhere, right? And uh, so I got back about 10.30. The other people, there's about 20 people that that run the surf contests at at that time. And so my, my crew was about 20 people from all over the world. But they were all back at our house where we were staying, me and four other guys, just hanging out because their party kind of broke up early. So they're kind of half drunk, sitting around, bored, and I come home, and this French girl that was just totally antagonistic towards me, and she was dating another guy from California that was with me and uh, with us, and, um, and she had traveled there, and she just starts going, she starts asking me questions about, why'd you go to a Bible study? And what's this Bible study about? And what God's about, what what is the Bible about? (laughs) She's asking this for about an hour. I'm sitting there witnessing to about 20 people. And the prophecy that I'd gotten a few minutes before I got home was, you can be bold, don't be afraid. This is my first overseas trip with the people, right? And I was being, I was kind of timid, I guess. And the Lord spoke to me through this prayer. But the second prophecy that they had prayed over me was, we see that you have a future. In the Lord, where you're going to be a lighthouse on the coast, shining on the beach. And I see, I see, uh, you know, bumps, whether they be shells or whether they be rocks on the beach, but you're going to be a light on the coastland. Right. And that was a prophecy in 1989. Okay. Now, move forward. Now it's 1996 or five. Probably in 1996, because McKenna has been born and, um, September 1996 and so we're here and he's like give me a scripture because I know she knows and the Holy Spirit's telling her and she's pushing back because she doesn't want to leave the relationships right and I'm a I'm a guy that just jumps you know I'm a guy that has to cut two or three times before I start to measure you know it's not like measure twice cut once I'm like just cut it (laughs) you know figure it out later and and uh It's good that I don't hesitate. Like, you know, when people have writer's block and they don't start writing, I start writing right away, right? You know, that's just my personality. So my wife's just terrified of that part of my personality. What are you going to get us into? (laughs) Where's the scripture? Where's the scripture? And right then I open to Isaiah chapter 42. And three times in Isaiah chapter 42, in the New King James, it mentions coastlands, and that's where we got our name, Calvary Chapel of the Coastlands, was from that time. Okay, and that's why we have our name, you know, and uh, and let, let them uh, sing praises in the coastlands. We actually had that scripture written on that back wall for a long time, and that's actually how we got our name. And she's like, no, no, no. You looked up in the back. I, go, I did not. I literally randomly just opened up the Bible and I started to read chapter 42. And so it's just interesting. This is a very special chapter. And I hadn't thought about it. And when I, you know, so normally on Wednesdays, I, I just study all day long. Right. And uh, I had a breakfast with a, uh, another pastor this morning, and then I just studied all day. And, uh, and then I started reading. I'm like, Oh, this is a very special chapter for our church. (laughs) So anyways, that's kind of the story, uh, our story about us getting here and, uh, and the name of our church. And so we are in Isaiah chapter 42, and let's go ahead and get into it. It reads this, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Now, he says, behold, my servant. OK, who is my servant? Now, there's several ways. And um, I would say most modern Jews are what, what are called mystics, which means they put a lot of meaning into a lot of symbolism. And, it, and if you go and you go to some of the art museums, In Israel, or if you go to the Holocaust Museum in Israel and you go to some of the outlying areas, if you have if we have enough time this next time we can do that, it's I'm an art guy, so I just love looking at it. But they have all in in most of their art. They have some radical symbolism because of the amount of wars and the amount of struggle that the Jews have not just gone through in modern times, but throughout all of history. Right? And so they put symbolism in everything. So many times they'll take scriptures and and they'll say, Well, who is my servant? They're not talking about Jesus. They can't be. But I'll tell you why uh, this is specifically talking about Jesus as a servant. So you can't ignore, because in the context, we've been talking about Cyrus the last few weeks. And Cyrus was the one that allowed the Jews to, to leave from their Babylonian captivity, which ended up being a Medo Persian captivity. And so the Persian, Cyrus, allowed the people to go back. So it, we we can't ignore the idea that it could mean Cyrus. But remember when prophecy comes the Lord is is kind of giving it to us in chunks so that we can discern it, okay? And if you look deeply at it, you're going to understand it in a greater way. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to seek. He wants us to put effort into it. He doesn't spoon-feed us our whole lives. You know, it's great to spoon-feed a baby, and it's so exciting when they actually start to eat like instead of just nursing. But what if, it, what if they're 16 or 17 years old and you're still spoon feeding them, you know? so the Lord desires that we look in and it's also a way to keep the enemy, uh, from, from ripping it off. So, so God's message is scattered throughout the lines of, of the, um, of all the old Testament scriptures, right? There's not just a chapter on prophecy. Why? Cause if Satan could destroy that, no more prophecy. And so many times we see these things in blocks or chunks. Okay. So it it could mean Cyrus. And then the Jews, what the Jews do with a lot of these, like Isaiah chapter 53, they personify it as meaning Israel. But the nation of Israel was God's servant as well. They were who God chose as his servant to bring forth the message and the Messiah, the message of the law that points to the Messiah, but physically to bring forth the Messiah. Right. And that's and so it could be a a personification of Israel. And many Jews today would see this chapter, or this verse as a personification of Israel. And then number three, and we're going to see it's obviously Jesus in this particular section. Now, why is it Jesus? Well, as we look into the New Testament, it says in Matthew 12, then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. (laughs) That's amazing, isn't it? Um, So anyways, Jesus knew it wasn't his time. So they were coming after him, and he's like, I know the time, and this isn't the time yet. It says, when he healed them, though, it says, yet he wanted them not to make him known. And we're going to get back to the scripture again as well. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. Sound familiar? Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, in whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to who? The Gentiles. Now remember, God's heart isn't just for the Jews. The Jews were a tool to reach the whole world. The promise to Abraham, who was not Jewish, right? Abraham was not Jewish. That didn't come until later. He was just a man that God called out of Ur of the Chaldees, And he gave him a promise called the Abrahamic covenant and promise. And he said, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, meaning mankind. God's desire was always to reach mankind. Now, I want you to think about that, too, today, because this world is trying to divide us into all these different groups. It's divide and conquer, and it's actually kind of a a Marxist idea, right, to divide us so that we see each other differently. But the fact of the matter is we're all human beings that God loves, and we're all formed creatively different, and God created that into the system so that we can all be different. But that's, praise God, that's God's creativity. That's why I celebrate cultures, Not because any culture is good in of itself, because any culture without God is absolutely abject sinful, right? All of your backgrounds are not royal and, and great and wonderful. Even the Jewish background is not great and wonderful. We're all savage because of the sin that we've all inherited, and God saves all of us. But his desire is to save all of us, isn't it? And he loves each one of us, and he came as a man to rescue people that he created in his image, so that he could delight in them for the rest of eternity. And so that means today, it means radical Muslims, the Lord still wants to save them. People that are all confused in transgender I- ideology, he still wants to save them. Uh, you know, People that, that want to tax you into oblivion, he wants them to be saved. People who think abortion is a wonderful I- idea, he still wants them to be saved. And the thing is, I want to keep myself in such a loving state, even though I might fight against some of these things politically. When a person comes to me, I'm going to see them as a child of God in God's image, who he wants to have fellowship with. And if he saved me, and I know me better than I know you, if he saved me, he can save them. Right? And that's his, his desire. So it's to bring forth justice to who? The Gentiles. That's a beautiful thing. And so Matthew says directly, quotes this. Why? Because it's talking about Jesus, right? So we know that this is a prophecy specifically in Isaiah about Jesus. Now in Matthew 20, 27. It says, whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Also repeated in the Gospel of Mark, I believe, chapter 13. Jesus came not to be served. There's something in the church called servant leadership. And Paul himself called himself not king of the mountain. He called himself an under rower on a ship. And he said you know and and so we, we have a saying sometimes and it doesn't necessarily come up in in, in churchology and the regular you know uh, uh, understanding of a church but in leadership you should learn the idea that you don't step up into leadership you step down into leadership and when you move into a leadership position in the church you're not saying i get more people to serve me what you're saying is i'm willing to take on more people to serve i'm willing to be called in the middle of the night to help someone whose teenager has been arrested, or I'm willing to go to an accident at four in the morning. If someone needs me and the pastor calls or an elder calls, I want to be a servant. Right. And, um, in America, I think we've lost that because churches have become successful and, uh, we are a culture that worships celebrity. Right. And, and it's, And I tell you what, as a pastor, and our church isn't a huge church, but a lot of people put me on a pedestal. (laughs) A lot of people knock me off that pedestal. And I'm very thankful for those people (laughs) because I don't want to, I truly want to be what God wants me to be. And I want this church to be arranged the way God wants this church to be arranged, right? That if you have a position of authority, you truly are a servant to others, right? So, my particular service to you is to make sure that on Wednesdays, I have a Bible study prepared to feed you. That is my particular role on Wednesdays. But other than that, I do counseling and everything else and then prepare a service for Sunday. And then we arrange that, that you guys are ministered to and there's a certain amount of ministry happening to you and there's training so you can minister to others. And our prayer is that our church is only as large as the ability for us to minister to everybody that needs ministry at any given time. It's not to pack the place so that we can just have attendees. We want to be able to minister to others. So yes, we want more mature people. Then we can minister to more people, right? You know, so he came as our example to be a servant. And what does this say? Behold my servant, Isaiah 42.1. Jesus is a servant, right? So this is him. He is our example and a servant. Now, verse 42, verse 2, it says, He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax or smoldering flax he will not quench, and he will bring forth justice for truth. So again, when Jesus was having that problem with the Pharisees they wanted to destroy him because he was breaking their laws and again we looked at that verse before when he knew it he withdrew from there and great multitudes followed them he healed them and he warned them don't make me know it wasn't like I healed you okay tell everybody or take these posters out and we're gonna have a big old healing meeting and we're going to have a lot of offering during this healing meeting. And we're going to make a whole lot of money. We're going to do really cool stuff with that money. And that's what we're going to do. You know, he didn't do that at all. And it's an interesting thing. And, and you know, to, to trust that God is your promotions manager. He, he is the one that is your agent, as it were and uh, my heart was when i was a young man i did not want to pro- promote myself because after i was a, a pre-med major and my my advisor told me you surf way too much and you volunteer none of your time in the hospital you're not going to be a doctor that's <laughs> no, a harsh thing after being in college for four years so then i went and i, I transferred my classes over and i went into sports marketing right So the PE department took a lot of my biology classes, and then I went to the marketing department, and I created independent study, and I called it sports marketing. But the marketing part of that is basically, and I'm not saying advertisement isn't good, right? But I learned a lot about marketing, and I learned a lot of the tricks about marketing, and a lot of it is manipulation, right? And so I saw it a lot as a young man in the church, and I went to Bible college myself. And, and there's ambition to be a pastor, and a pastor can be a pretty good job in America. It can be pretty lucrative, and you can get to be well-known, and you can write books and become famous and a celebrity and all this stuff, right? And you're an ambitious young man, and those things start flying through your mind. And at that time, Calvary Chapel churches were the fastest-growing churches in America, And we're like, ah, you know, and so I'd watch this competition go on amongst these young men and all this ambitious thought. But I didn't like that. And I don't think I had so much wisdom and I still had the ambition, but in principle, I knew it was wrong. So I decided I'm not going to market myself. And so a guy that I was discipling was was being raised up quicker in the church that I was a part of. And, and my wife's like, well, why don't you go tell them? And I'm like, I'm not going to promote myself. I'm just going to serve God, and if they notice, they notice. But if, you know, God has my future in his hands, I want to trust him, right? And Jesus completely trusted what? His father and his father's plan, right? As he walked as a man, he absolutely trusted that. And so he wasn't about this self-promotion. But it, again, it says... You know, that he is not going to cry out or raise his voice when he comes. He's not, he's going to let his actions speak. And when he's asked to speak, he's going to speak the truth. But he's not about promoting himself. In fact, he said very hard things to the people that were following. There's one point in time when he had thousands following them. And then he said hard things to the people that were following him. And they all left. And he looked at his own disciples and he said, are you going to leave also? And that's when Peter said, where are we to go? But you have the words of God, you have the words of eternal life, right?